Turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We started into this chapter last Wednesday, and we really focused in on verse 1, but we are going to look at verses 1 to 7. It was A.W. Tozer who said, as he was writing in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. There was a very lengthy description that he had given speaking of that very thing in his book. But it really begins with that first line. That what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The worship is either pure or base as we entertain thoughts about God. Sometimes it is, uh, it is, it is natural at times... You know, you have a hard day, you have a hard week, and you come into the house of God, you know you're coming here for worship, but sometimes we allow the things of the day or the things of the week to really take our minds away from the majesty of God. And sometimes, perhaps unintentionally, we may come in a bit irreverently, because we so easily forget uh, whose presence we are coming into, which is the most holy God. What comes into our mind says a lot about us, but our attitudes as we come into the house of God says much about us too. Our, our actions as we are here, they say much about us when it comes to how we think, how we feel, our delight in the Lord or our lack of. There are times in which we come in and we, we may not say anything, but sometimes our silence really speaks louder because we, we come in with the wrong attitude. When you come into this place, especially on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights is usually one of the times in which not everybody uh, that's here on Sunday comes on Wednesday. But when you come in on Wednesdays, it's the middle of the week, You've had a long day at work, perhaps. What are your thoughts as you enter into this place? What is your attitude like when you enter into this place like tonight? Wednesday night. It's been a long day. You're tired. Maybe you come in and let's just get this over with. Hopefully he won't be long-winded and we can go home. Well, there's no chance of that. No, but it does, it does speak a lot about uh, what we think. Usually Wednesday nights is, again, not really the most popular when it comes to the time in which we gather. But this is a time of worship. This is a time in which we have gathered for this very purpose in order to worship God just as we do on the Lord's Day. So what are our thoughts as we come in? What thoughts do we have of God as we come into this place? Our day's been good. Maybe our thoughts are a little bit easier to focus upon the Lord and to say thank you for the wonderful day. Maybe it's been a difficult day. 
Maybe you have something that is lingering in your life in which it is causing you not to focus upon the Lord as you should. And so you come into this place maybe even a little bitter at times. Lord, you know what's going on and you still haven't fixed it. And then you sit here. This is, this is a portion of God's word that really helps us to be reminded of who we come to worship. And to recognize that even if it's been good, even if it's been bad, even if it's been a long day and you're tired, I understand. We all can understand that because all of us are tired. It's been a long day. But we have to remember this, that, that, that the Lord, whether the things have been good or bad, that the, that the Lord is still our greatest delight and that our healing is, is with the Lord. And, and he brings healing to us as we come into his presence to worship because it's in the act of worship that we, we are intentional about our minds. We are intentional about trying to focus upon the Lord, intentional about what we say, intentional about continually reminding ourselves of the grace and the mercy and the majesty of God. These are things that you need to be praying for as you enter into this place, not to come in and say, just feed me with something, but to come in as you come in and, and be praying, O oh Lord, remind me of who you are that I may delight in you this night, regardless of how this day has been, because with you there is great healing. With you... There is joy and there is delight regardless of how other things have went. There are things that we can do to prepare ourselves, but sometimes maybe we neglect that. But this portion of God's word is one, again, that gives us a little bit of caution as we come into the house of God. And we started this portion last week, and we remember that Solomon is giving his readers statements of caution as they come into the house of God. And one writer had said this, he said of this portion of God's word, he says that this is the highest concentration of God talk in this book, in this entire book. Take caution, says Solomon. Keep your words and your thoughts in check. Be intentional on what you do. And not come in carefree or irreverent as you approach the holy God. Again, Life brings its troubles and its pains and its aggravations. But as one man said, the greatness of God is the remedy for our troubles. We don't think of it that way. I have to go show up for church or whatever. Or we allow small things to deter us from coming. Because maybe we just don't feel like it. But we forget this very fact the greatness of God is the remedy for our troubles. So what we learn here, especially uh, in, in these seven verses taken as a whole, is not to think less of God or our time that is given over to worship as if it's unimportant or inconvenient. It is a time that is supposed to be one of joy and of delight in our holy God. So tonight we're going to look at a number of things that Solomon brings back to our minds as we are reflecting upon God and some words of caution from our actions and our words.
as we are in the presence of God. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. And we will read verses 1 to 7 of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible words. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning of verse 1. God's word says, Guard your steps as you go to the house of God, and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort, and the voice of a fool through many words. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you once again for our time together in which we may collectively render to you worship. Thanks. Praise. Father, and we pray that uh, that we would indeed heed the words of Solomon in this portion of your word and that we would seek to prepare ourselves even more so in the times that are set aside in which we gather for worship. Let us remember who you are. And we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would continually do that work within us, bringing back to our remembrance what your word has taught us about who you are. Father, bless the preaching of your word. May it accomplish all you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's children said, amen. Please be seated. So we had started this... Again, last week, we really hit into the first verse of, of Ecclesiastes 5, where Solomon really switches gears concerning some of the things that he's been speaking of thus far. He begins to then say, not only is he looking out over the, the land and, and all of this, but he turns his attention then to the place of worship, and he begins to say to his readers... To guard your steps. Guard your steps as you enter the house of God. Watch yourself. And his reason? He says in verse 2 that God is in heaven and you are on the earth. And so in some of these words that Solomon is bringing out to his readers, what, what things is he, trying, is he trying to convey to his readers to have them to understand Guard your steps. You're not just coming before anybody. You're coming before the sovereign king. And so there are some things that Solomon is bringing to to the minds of his readers in order to give them a word of caution. You don't just come in carefree. You don't come in irreverently. This isn't just a human uh, dignitary or whoever that you can just come before and not expect Uh, to to be respectful and and reverent in all of this. We're not dealing with man. We are dealing with the most holy God. 
And so some of the things that we can look from what Solomon is saying here concerning the nature of God and the character of God, he says that God is in heaven and you are on the earth. This is something that we must remember as we come into the house of God for worship. What's he mean by this? Or perhaps he's speaking of God's transcendence. Remember that the God whose presence you are coming into is the transcendent God. He is the one who is exalted, who sits upon his cosmic throne, clothed in all his regal majesty, ruling and reigning over every portion of his creation. This is the one who speaks and it happens. This is the one who upholds all things. This is the God who is altogether separate from us. We'll get to his holiness in in just a minute. But he is the one who is above all. Solomon is saying he's in heaven. He is the one who rules over heaven. He is the one who rules over the earth. He is the one who rules over everything. Remember whose presence you're coming into. This is the transcendent one. The sovereign king who is exalted, sits high and lifted up over all things. Maybe that's something that Solomon wants the readers to understand, that God is transcendent. Again, we're not dealing with just uh, on on a human level here. You know, it was interesting when I was doing uh, jury duty that I was watching some of the people that were coming into court to stand before the judge. Some of them coming in in sweatpants and and big baggy shirts and and all kinds of things like this. And you think to yourself, this probably isn't going to go well for you. This isn't going to be good. But you just watch them just come right in. Having no respect for the judge who's, who's getting ready to render a verdict on them or whatever their case is dealing with. This isn't the same. People don't have much respect for judges and, and others. But what Solomon is saying is you're not dealing with anyone on the, on the human plane here. Again, you're dealing with the sovereign God. Who the scripture says the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. The one who guides his creation in any which way that he desires for them to go. You know, one portion of God's word in which you see that, that he rules over even the the angelic host and they do his bidding. Everything that he says to be done is in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1, as you are looking at the... Uh, The vision that Ezekiel has and he sees a wheel within a wheel and he sees four beings in there and they have four faces each. And then you see uh, that there's a platform on top and then you see Yahweh sitting on his throne and the beast move whichever way that he says to move. As a side note, this isn't a UFO. Just so we know that. No UFOs in the scripture, regardless of what others may say. <laughs> Actually, as a, as, a, as a footnote there, um, to just speak, want to speak to God's sovereign rule over every aspect of his creation and over everything in the earth, that particular vision 
really conveys that. Not only because the angelic hosts that are within this wheel within a wheel, uh, they turn wherever he wishes, but there's a message that was being conveyed to Ezekiel. If you look at some of the old um, archaeological findings of places like ancient Babylon and, and, and others, you see that there were creatures, there are statues of, of creatures that have the same resemblance as what you're finding in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10 of these angelic hosts. And they have a platform on them, and then their particular God would sit on top of them. And this was something that archaeology uh, has found, and there's pictures of it. And Dr. Daniel Block, who is an Old Testament scholar, uh, he was showing us pictures of that at the seminary. Very, very interesting. Um, and so when Ezekiel, when Ezekiel sees the Lord, and he is riding upon a platform with these living creatures inside these angelic hosts, and he's in Babylon. You know, at the time they thought, well, Israel has their God, Babylon has their God, and then when two, two countries or two nations clash, whoever wins is a demonstration of the gods and, and the battle that the gods are having. Well, what Ezekiel is, is understanding from this vision that he has of the Lord is that the Lord is not only sovereign, the sovereign king in Israel, but the Lord is here in Babylon. And the Lord is ruling and reigning in Babylon. And it is speaking to his kingship. It is speaking to his sovereign rule, that particular vision. And these are things as well that, that are being brought out with some of these words that Solomon is using to remember these realities of the God in whom we serve, that he is the sovereign king who is exalted high and above all and ruling over all. He is the transcendent one. You notice here that he says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God. There's a place in which God is worshipped. A place that was set aside specifically for his people to gather and to offer sacrifice. You know, Solomon had in mind, of course, the temple worship as he is penning this. And the temple symbolized the holiness of God. And you think about this, symbolizing his holiness and his purity and that he was inaccessible to everyone except one person whom he designated to be the high priest, to be the intercessor on behalf of his people. Otherwise, apart from him and apart from him at certain times of the year, none could approach the Lord because he is altogether separate He's holy. And so as the, as the people would come to the temple and they recognize this, that we may go this far and no further. Why? Because we're sinful. Because we're dirty. Because we're contaminated. And He is altogether righteous and holy and pure. It was speaking to the people to understand the very nature of God. You're not approaching Him casually. You remember that there is a separation between you. And a designated mediator may come into the presence of God on behalf of the rest. A designated mediator may come only by, by sacrifice. No other way. 
And so as Solomon is having that temple worship in mind and he's speaking to the people, guard your steps as you come. Remember, you have to come and only so far and you must come by sacrifice. And the one who is mediating on your behalf must have sacrifice for himself as well because God is altogether holy. He's not common. You don't approach him in the same way that you approach one of your friends or family members. There is caution to be taken here, so guard your steps. He's not only transcendent, he's not only holy, and his holiness speaks to the sum of all the divine attributes, all the perfection of God. He is also the one who knows all and sees all. If Solomon is telling the people to guard your steps Don't be hasty in word or impulsive in thought. He is saying to the people of God that as you come, God knows the deepest recesses of your soul as you come. He knows your attitude as you come. He knows your hearts as you come. So take caution. Because there is a a type of worship, there is a form of worship in which God is just offended. He's offended at your worship If you do not come in the right attitude and with the right heart. So nothing is hidden from him. And he judges the worship. He judges the way we worship. And the attitude in which we approach him. He is the all-knowing one. And so nothing can be hidden. So take caution. You're dealing with the transcendent, exalted God. The holy God who is altogether separate from you and the God who judges the way in which we worship because he knows our hearts and he knows our thoughts. He knows our attitudes as we come into the place in which he is worshipped. And he is the eminent God. Notice he says to guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near To listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Though God is indeed separate. And there were times actually you can look in in the times like in Exodus. In which the people had sinned so greatly that God had Moses to pitch the tent outside of the camp. In which no one could approach. But at the temple there is is that that understanding that the people can gather and gather so close. They can draw near. Recognizing that God is omnipresent as well and that they draw near to him with their hearts, though they may only physically approach so far. God's eminence speaks to the fact that God is near to his people. He is not so far removed that he is that that, that there is no relationship with him. He is among his people. And so as we're putting all this together, what Solomon is saying, he's saying, yes, God is transcendent. He is exalted. He is holy. He knows all your thoughts and all your hearts. And at the very same time, he is the God who is near you. So when you think about the majesty of God and the splendor of God and the greatness of God, he's not far removed. For he is near you. And so as you approach, you may approach and come near to that sovereign, holy God. And know that he is near you. 
And so there's the realization of being cautious, and there is also that realization that God is with me. God is near me, and I may approach. And so there are things that Solomon is saying to to be reminded of, of who we are approaching, of God, the God, the living God, who is dwelling among his people and who is worthy of true, genuine worship. So here's what he says. And the things that he says, we we can understand uh, these realities of the very nature and character of God. And in doing so, then he gives those words of caution to the people to be very intentional with their words and their thoughts. You know, you have in you have in this these set of verses here the, plenty of warnings when it comes to what we say. He says in verse two, "Do not be hasty in word." And in verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. He says in verse 6, do not let your speech cause you to sin. And in verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words, there is emptiness. He cautions the people not only in the way to remember the, the, the God and the, that they are approaching, but in the manner in which they approach and the words that they speak before him. One writer says this, speaking of Old Testament worship, he says, Temple sacrifices were offered in silence. The silence broken by the reading of the law and explanation. The response to hearing from God would be to speak to God through prayers, songs, and sometimes personal vows. And the service was closed with a benediction. As the worshiper came near to God and they offered their sacrifice, they didn't say, Oh, Lord, you know, if you do this for me, I will do this and blah, 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 blah. As the worshiper was to come near and offer their sacrifices, they are remembering all of those things that we just talked about and more concerning the nature and the character of God. And as they are offering their worship, offering their sacrifice in this act of worship, and the law is read, portions of the law, and they are hearing the very words of God. They are meditating on it. They are contemplating it, reflecting upon what they are learning and understanding of who God is. And after this is when they speak to the Lord. And as one man said, you let God speak first and you speak second. There is a way in which we should speak that is meaningful, that is intentional, and that is grounded in our knowledge of who God is so that it is genuine from our hearts. Notice he says, he says in verse 3, and he mentions it again in verse 7, for the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. And he repeats again in verse 7, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. What is he meaning? John Gill He writes this, For a dream comes through the multitude of business, or or the dream through the multiplicity of business in the daytime, in which the mind has been busied and the body employed. And this brings on dreams in the night, which are confused and incoherent. Sometimes the fancy is employed about one thing and sometimes another, and all unprofitable and useless as well as vain and foolish. 
And a fool's voice is known by multitude of words, either his voice in conversation, for a fool is full of words and pours out his foolishness in a large profusion of, a large profusion of them, or his voice in prayer being like a man's dream, confused and coherent and rambling. So he's talking about how you busy yourself all day and then you go to sleep at night and the dreams are incoherent because they're so caught up in the busyness of the day. And so he's saying the voice of a fool is just like that. A voice of a fool, he takes no thought in what he says. It is meaningless, everything that he's saying. He speaks before he thinks. He does not remember that, that God knows his, his thoughts and his heart. He just speaks, perhaps thinking that by filling time with words that he is impressing God or that he is pleasing God with his prayers or his vows. And Solomon is saying, this is, this is, a, this is a fool's practice. The voice of a fool through many words. Fools, they chatter before the Lord with repetitive prayers, with empty phrases, with empty minds, and with empty hearts, taking no thought of the Lord himself. And Solomon is saying, perhaps he is seeing this himself. Perhaps he is seeing, seeing the worshiper come, or the person come with their sacrifice, or the person coming to make vows, or the person coming to offer prayers uh, before the Lord at the temple, and he's saying, this is all meaningless. Look at what you're doing. You're taking no thought in the holiness of God, in the majesty of God. You're filling your time with words. You're just going through the motions. And Jesus had warned about that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, and he says, When you are praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And this is what Solomon is cautioning against. That your words be few. Draw near to listen. And not be so hasty in your words. And allow your words to cause you to sin because you're not thinking before you speak. There must be substance to the words in which we render unto the Lord as our thoughts are focused upon the majesty of God. And so that's why before we say things unto the Lord or before we promise things unto the Lord, we are contemplating in our minds what we just heard from the Lord as it was given to us through the preaching of His Word or the teaching of His Word. We are contemplating, this is what I just understood from, the Lord, from God's Word, that He is holy that he knows my attitude, he knows my heart, he knows exactly what I'm thinking. And so I don't need to just fill my prayer time just praying whatever. I need to remember that I'm, I'm praying before a holy God. I'm, I'm praying before my Savior, my King, my Lord. And so Lord, help me that my, that my words that I speak to you be, be of substance. That they affect me as I speak them to you because I know that they're true coming from your word. Let me not just give meaningless repetition. You know, that is one of the dangers, perhaps, of um, like sports teams, for example. A lot of sports teams, they like to say the Lord's Prayer together before they go 
off on the field or something like that, and everybody knows the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, whatever you want to call it. But is it really prayer? If you do, if it's just a, a repetitive thing that you do before you go out on the field or, or whatever, or maybe you're filling your own time, not just with repetitive prayers that, that you're not putting your heart into as you're praying them, but maybe as you're praying, you have no substance because you have not been in the presence of God hearing him speak. And so we think to ourselves, okay, I need to at least fill 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of prayer today. And I will check that off. 30 minutes of prayer in the morning. And so we think, oh, Lord, be with this particular family member. Who else? Who else? Lord, be with that particular family member. This person at work. Who else can I think of? Oh, and so we just we think of anything that we can just to try to fill time. And do we really think that God is pleased with that kind of prayer? As he looks down and says... You're just feeling time. It's not about the time that you set aside. It's about the substance. It's about the intent. But we do that. And that's, that's why it is, it is a really good practice um, that as you come before the Lord in your personal prayer time to fill your heart and your mind with substance of who God is before you go to him in prayer. Not to say that you must do it this way because there's a number of ways that you may do it, of course. Uh, one, one practice that, that I like to do that works well for me to help keep me focused, you may have something different, is that I like to pray through books of the Bible. In the New Testament, for example, I like to take a chapter and I read through that chapter. If it's a long chapter, I may break it up a little. But I take a portion of God's word and I read through it slowly, not very quickly, because I want to try to take in everything that's being said. I want to look at this passage and I want to understand what is the writer saying about the Lord? What is he bringing out here about the character and the nature of God? And what is he saying about me as a human being before the sovereign king. And then after I, I read through that, and then I get a, my notebook out, and I begin to pin my prayer. I'm writing it out. And I'm writing it out based on what I just read of who the scripture said that God is. And that, and, and that helps to give me substance that I'm not just wandering through trying to figure out something to say to the Lord, but I remember, oh Lord, you are holy and though this is going on in our lives or whatever, though you are holy, you have called us to be your own. And you allowed me to come into your presence. And Lord, maybe this is going on. And I know that you are the sovereign king as well. And that all things are being orchestrated by you. And this gives me comfort. Whatever it is that you pin concerning whatever's going on in your life. It gives you substance. So that as you are writing out your prayer, or maybe you just read it and you begin to pray. You don't have to write them out. 
It helps me because I, I, think, I have to think through what it is that I'm praying. But it gives substance. And it gives a genuine heartfelt prayer because you just filled your heart with, with the knowledge of who God is before you went to him in prayer. I want to fill myself up with his word, that the words that I speak, whether verbally or in my heart, that they are genuine. That they are, that they are indeed from my heart. And my heart is delighting in him as I am praying it because I've just been filled with the truth of God. God is not impressed with many words. That's a fool's practice. Martin Luther, he says this, Remember your situation. God is such a great majesty in heaven, and you, are a worm of, and you are a worm upon the earth. You cannot speak about the works of God on the basis of your own judgment. Let God rather do the speaking. Do not dispute about counsels of God, and do not try to control things by your own counsels. It is God who can arrange things and perfect them. For he himself is in heaven. We express all of this in German by saying, Don't use many words, but keep your mouth shut. End quote. <laughs> he certainly had a way with words, didn't he? Don't use many words, but keep your mouth shut. What's, what Solomon is saying, isn't it? Don't be so hasty to use your words. Don't be so impulsive in thought. Rather, allow the word of God to penetrate into your very soul so that what you speak back has substance and it is true about the reality of who God is. So, words in general, we've got to be careful. There's caution. And he goes on to speak about making vows. You know, making vows is not a bad thing. It's just a bad thing when you make a vow and decide not to keep it. That's why he says, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it. For he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should and not pay. So, for instance, maybe you have the worshipers that approach approach the place where God is worshipped at the temple, and they begin to try to negotiate. And vows are not made to negotiate here. Oh, Lord, if you do this, I'll do that. I'm in, I'm in a bit of a dire situation here, but if you get me out of it, I promise I will be here every Sabbath. Lord, if you, if you do this for me and help me in this area, I promise I'm going to go do community service. Blah, 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 whatever. It's not a negotiating tool. And that's why he says take caution in making vows. Because if you make a vow trying to move the Lord to do something... And then whenever it maybe occurs, maybe the Lord has mercy on you. Maybe the Lord does bring you out of the situation or whatever. And then it comes time to pay up your vow. And you say, wait a minute. I might have been a little hasty in saying that. Uh, it's just not really going to work for me. 
What does Solomon say? He takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. Is the Lord serious on this? Yes, he's very serious. That's why when it comes to making vows and breaking vows and all of that, that you find that within the law. But sometimes we, we speak before we think. That was one of the things that Peter had ran into, wasn't it? When he promises the Lord, I'm ready to die for you. I'll never deny you. What happens? He breaks his promise. He runs out of the city weeping bitterly. And then he's very unsure even after the resurrection of our Lord where he stands. Or how about maybe Ananias and Sapphira? Those are some good examples. This is everything that we have. We're giving it all. You're lying. You have no intention of giving everything that you're saying that you're going to give. You're keeping back some of it. And so what happens? Ananias came in first. He drops dead. Then his wife comes in a couple hours later. Says the same thing. Peter's like, the people who just carried out your husband, they're right here at the door and they're going to carry you out too. And she dropped dead. Does the Lord take these things seriously? Yes, he does. So when you make a vow unto the Lord, it's not to say that you're going to drop dead if you break it, but that you need to understand that this is very offensive to the Lord. He may. You need to understand that when you make a vow unto the Lord, as Solomon is saying, don't be late in paying it. When it comes time to pay the vow in which you've made, pay it. If you don't want to get into this situation, don't vow. There's no sin in not doing that. There's no sin in making a vow. As long as you pay what you vow and don't let your speech cause you to sin. Remember, again, this is all about remembering and reflecting upon God and the majesty of God and the splendor of God and the power of God. And that's why Solomon really sums all of that up as he's giving all of these warnings. He's saying, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Fear offending God. Take caution how you approach. Because God is greatly concerned with all these matters when it comes to the way in which we worship. Because if you come with empty words and empty hearts and empty minds, not taking any thought about God or His majesty or any of those things, you're doing the very thing that the prophets denounced Israel for doing. Going through the motions. This people honors me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. This is the very thing that Jesus denounced the religious leaders for. You need to understand that the way in which we worship or the lack in, or the way that we, we don't worship, we can truly offend the Lord. What does the scripture say? He is a consuming fire. We get so at ease remembering that he is a God of love and of mercy and of grace. And we... we we delight in this, and we should, but sometimes, perhaps, maybe we allow these truths about God to allow us to be at ease in Zion 
and to think a little less of the consuming fire part when it comes to the Lord. Fear God, he says. Fear offending Him. Have reverence for Him. Be in awe of the mighty God. And be careful what you say. Be careful in the attitude in which you come. Maybe the day's been good and that's wonderful. Still come in with reverence and not so carefree. Maybe the day's been long and we come with, let's get this over with. Don't come irreverently. But as you come to this place for worship, remember that this is a privilege that the people of God have in Christ Jesus because God has been merciful and he has been gracious. But that doesn't mean that you take advantage of his of his grace and his mercy and not revere him. We pray and we ask God to help us as as we're driving here, as we're preparing for the service to begin We're praying, Lord, let the worship of my heart be pleasing in your sight. And please help me to focus. Let the Spirit of God do a work within my heart. And and let me offer you genuine worship. Fill my heart with your word that I may reflect upon your greatness. And not just concentrating on when this is going to be over. You know, the people of God within the Old Covenant, though God is omnipresent, we recognize that. There were still those symbols that were there concerning the, the temple. You have the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, and the court of Israel that they could only approach so far. But through Christ Jesus, we recognize and we understand that you may approach the throne of grace at any time. Because this grace has been lavished upon you that you don't need a mediator. You may come before him at any point. At any time of the day, regardless of what's going on, pour your heart out to the Lord and recognize that though He is transcendent, sitting on His cosmic throne, yet He is near you. And He is in you. What a privilege. What a grace that God has granted to us. What love that God has given to us that we may approach Him. And come confidently, as the writer of Hebrews says, you may come boldly before the throne of God to receive grace. Do we not think of these things when we have those long days? It should be a delight. A delight to worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. A delight to enter into the house of God. Whether it's on Wednesdays or the Lord's Days, it is a privilege to come. A privilege to worship. A privilege that, that, that should be at the forefront of our thoughts as we come to this place. There is great joy to be had within the assembly. How do we cultivate that joy? How do we cultivate that delight? Well, as Solomon is giving words of caution here, to remember the character and the nature of God, we can do the same. Lord, this is who you say that you are. 
Lord, you have graced us with such grace in Christ Jesus. Let these realities not just land here in my mind. Let it flow to my heart. Let it affect me so much as I consider your grace and mercy and love through your son. Let me remember what he endured that I can come into your presence. And we, we remember, we reflect. And so that as, as we come, we have this already in our minds and in our hearts. We are coming to collectively delight in the Lord together. We are coming to offer him worship. We get to worship. And we, right now we get to worship freely. What a privilege. So as you come, you who are beloved of the Lord, guard your steps. Draw near to listen rather than to speak. And when you do speak, let the words that you speak or that you pray or that you vow be words of substance from your very heart in recognition of the majesty of God. That your delight is in him when you speak. Not just with empty words and empty phrases. Delight in the Lord. And guard your steps as you come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you once again. For this portion of your word. Father, thank you for the truths that you speak to our hearts as we. As we go through this passage, continually reflecting upon the recognition of who you are and of the worship that is pleasing in your sight. Father, we maybe for each one of us, we recognize our shortcomings and our struggles and the times that we gather together, and all of us have them. And we know that we cannot carry these things out except by the Spirit of God. So help us. Father, we need your help. We want to honor you. We want to please you. We want to remember and to continually reflect upon all you've done for us in Christ. We so easily forget. Father, do a mighty work within our hearts. Continually bring back to our minds that we are constantly before the throne of God in your presence and that you are near. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you have lavished upon us in your son, the privilege of being called by you, of being purchased by him, to be loved by you. Let these things, Father, affect us so greatly that our delight would be even more in you. Father, we need you. We ask that you do a mighty work within us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children said.